Welcome to Game Face episode 16, the long-delayed episode 16. We did not do a show last week, and truth be told, based upon what happened in the last couple weeks, we probably couldn't have done a show. There just hasn't been that much going on. I do want to welcome my guest co-host for the week, Ray Carcillo. What's going on, Ray? Not much, Shane. How you doing, dude? Doing good. Ray is the reviews editor at EGM. He's going to be sitting in with us this week talking about all the hot topics, or not-so-hot topics, as it were. (laughs) Had to work a little bit, even to get topics for this show after two weeks of being off. It really, you know, there's always that lull yeah. after E3. Yeah. But holy cow, like... this It's been especially barren, it seems. Yeah. I think part of the reason is, is because Comic-Con is also so... E3 was a week later than normal, Comic-Con's a week earlier. So yeah. that gap between major events for the industry is, like, shrunk, so everyone's just like... We're just gonna wait until Comic Con and then we'll we'll put some stuff out and then and then games come. This is probably the busiest like couple of months for yeah. games if you're like if you're going to the conventions than if we've had in a while. Well there's the anime expo going on right now. Yep. And there was a few trailers that came out of that. We actually have those curated already on Sifid if you guys haven't seen it yet. But nothing huge. There was like yeah. a, a new Tales trailer and mm-hmm. a couple Japanese anime influenced game trailers, but Really, really slow after E3 this year, but we do have a good show for you guys today. I promise you that. We do have six really good topics. Trailer of the Week's not so good, though. <laughs> it's been two weeks. We try, I tried to find a good Trailer of the Week across the last two weeks, and you'll just have to wait and see what the best one was that I came up with. But uh, anyway, we do have a good show for you today. Let's get right to it. Let's go to the Big Six. So, Ray, Nintendo, all this news has come out about Nintendo over the last week or so. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But one thing that I saw that was a big story over the last couple weeks are Steam Machines. And I'm really starting to wonder if maybe the console manufacturers should start being a little more worried about these Steam Machines. Because Valve put up a bunch of pre-orders and they were sold out in like minutes. And so they're coming out, I think it's October 10th, is that right? So the, from what I understand is that if you pre-ordered, uh, you're getting them October 16th, but the actual Steam machines themselves are coming out November 10th for everyone. Right, right. So you're getting them a month. So I if mixed you, it up. I had no. the 10th, which was right. from the November, yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you get on board early, you're basically going to get the systems a month earlier than everyone else. So I think that definitely helped the pre-order, but I'm, I'm shocked as you are that they sold out already... All of these different Steam machines from different manufacturers, Alienware, Cyber. Yeah. I mean, and we're talking like different price ranges too, from $450 up to $1,400. Yeah, and people are just eating them up. And as a console guy, I mean, I, I'm excited for the Steam machines, but I don't know if I'm willing to pay $1,400 for one. Well, I don't think you, you don't have to pay that much. I saw some that are like four or $500, right around the price the, of the, consoles. The lower models are four, yeah, $450, I think, for any Alienware, $500 for the Cyber. And you're, getting, you're still getting good stuff. You're getting i3 or i5 uh, inside. You're getting, you know, 500 uh, gigabytes or one terabyte hard drive. So you're getting, you're still getting high quality products. But if you want to go for like the super high end, like I, I, I saw, I was looking up today, Cyber's i7, I think two terabytes is $1,410. And I was like... I, that's steep. That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> steep at that point. I could build that machine yeah. without a monitor for probably at least two or $300 less than that. Exactly. So, I mean, at that point, it's like, why, why bother getting the console? Why not just go get a computer? Yeah. 
So. Well, I think, I mean, I find it kind of funny. And actually, it's kind of genius because what they've really done is just rebranded the PC. Yeah. Like, it's still just a PC. It's in a smaller mm-hmm. case. In some cases, some of these cases are still pretty big and still look yeah. like towers. They don't, they don't all sit flat like a console. Right. It's kind of genius how the PC industry is like, let's call them steam machines, but they're really just PCs. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's, it's trying to bridge that gap because half the gaming audience is PC, half the gaming audience is console. It's trying to bring everybody together and kind of, you know, there's always been this divide, you know, PC master race and all that. And then yeah. people who are on consoles are always been adamant about sticking with consoles. What I'm most curious about, though, is, is how they're going to bridge the gap Controller-wise. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have the Steam controller, obviously. Right. Which, depending on who you talk to, it's either genius or a piece of junk. Yeah. Really, the opinions have run the gamut. I mean, my experience with it, it was different. It took me a while to get the hang of it. But once I did, I Mm -hmm. felt like it was, for PC gaming at least, kind of the superior option. Have you messed around with the Steam I controller? Haven't, at all? I haven't had a chance to mess around with it, so I'm 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 curious. I'm very curious to try it out, and I like the fact that they are at least offering it separately from the console, so that you can you can still if you just want to try out the Steam Machine controller with your PC, it will be compatible with it. But I mean, you know, as as somebody who's dabbled with both PC gaming and console. I'm curious to see how like first-person shooters and real-time strategy games and these these genres that are specifically supposedly superior on a PC with a mouse and keyboard will work with this controller. Hasn't it really the issue with PC always been that it's kind of tethered to like your back bedroom or mm-hmm. your den or your office and now with these team machines I just find it funny how they rename it, and now all of a sudden people are supposed to feel okay about putting it next to their television or in their entertainment center. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's that's the big thing too, right, is that PC gaming, you've always kind of had this image of, yeah, people kind of being in, like, you know, their basements or dwelling, you know, it's kind of always separate, and now they're trying to bring it out to the family area, kind of like, you know, you know, going to get to Nintendo in a little bit, but Nintendo with their with their Wii and the Wii U, and then obviously Xbox and, and Sony, they've got their systems, you can have, you can connect the cable to it, you can watch the TV, you can still, these are things that are bringing everybody together, where the PC was always kind of out, kind of being by yourself, being separate, doing your own thing, and I think they're trying to get on board with that, be like, no, look, PC can be for everyone too. So, I mean, whether or not people get on board with that, if there's still that, if that stigma of PC will always kind of stick around with these Steam machines, we'll have to wait and see. But I personally think that people are still going to end up taking these machines and going into their rooms with them and still playing them like, a P- like they do a PC because... I mean, a lot of people do that with their consoles. Not everybody well, plays their consoles in the living room. I mean, yeah. some people's wives are like, no, 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 I got the TV. <laughs> and so... You know, some people will have their own little game room or they'll have their den where they play. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the lines between console gaming and PC gaming are starting to blur in that regard. But really the bigger question to me is these these Steam machines, to me, have the ability to take a huge market share away from console gaming. Because the one yeah. thing everybody's going to realize very quickly is that these machines won't go away. And it's mm-hmm. like, like, look at E3. The big announcement from Xbox was backwards compatibility. Yep. I mean, when they announced it, I was like, that's cool. That's probably a big deal. It's been like the biggest deal. That was the biggest announcement of the show for most people was backwards yeah. compatibility because now you have this huge library and what Steam provides that the other consoles don't have is this constant library, thousands of games constantly at your fingertips. You have that back library, but you yep. also know it's future-proofed, right? You know yep. that, like, as look, it may not look as good as somebody who has a 
you know, a four or $5,000 rig. But chances are, you know, you buy a Steam machine now, you're still going to be able to at least play and run PC yeah. games long after PlayStation 4 and Xbox One have been sent off to pasture and we're playing yeah. the PlayStation 5 and whatever else Xbox calls it after that. And so it's almost a little scary to me that with these new machines acting almost as like a Trojan horse, that they could really bend the market. And you're starting to talk, I know Valve's starting to talk now about how they want to get away from using Windows as an operating system for their Steam machines. Like, I don't know if they're planning on developing their own OS, but then it really, then it almost, that to me is a bad idea. Because yeah. then you're, you really are turning the Steam machine into a console. It's no longer a PC and a smaller box. And to me, that's where you start to lose your competitive advantage. Yeah. In that you have this vast library of games from 10, 15, 20 years ago. Some mm-hmm. of those games, you know, good old games is really good at reviving stuff that, like, yeah. wouldn't even play on most PCs now. They're kind of doing it for you. Yeah. I mean, do you, how big of a of an opportunity is this for PC gaming to take a huge chunk out of the console market? Well, it's like you said, it's it's a really a massive opportunity if they play their cards right. I mean, if they stop using Windows, I mean, obviously Microsoft is not going to stop making games for Windows, so you're going to start you're going to start ostracizing and dividing your audience. So, I mean, think about that like yeah. a split user base for PC gaming. That's something that we've never thought of or ever thought would occur. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and, and to do that... And would... see, Steam also has the cachet to do it because it owns Steam. <laughs> but that's just it, right? I mean, like, ever since it, I mean, you know, Gabe, our, 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 our patron saint of computer yeah. gaming, you know, <laughs> over there in, at, at Valve is, is, you know, they can almost kind of do what they want, but at the same time, you know, if they, if they go too far with it, they can go too far with this and basically start alienating their audience and start putting these consoles, and especially Microsoft with Windows... Into a better into a better light, especially now that Xbox One, you can play Xbox One with your Windows PC. Right. You know that having that as their that, that was a huge feather in their cap to get that out before these Steam machines hit on store shelves because For that's sure. that's one thing that will keep them hopefully relevant. Uh, hopefully relevant. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean, in that regard, I think that Steam machine needs needs to be really careful how they play how they play this because they already have. Half the half the gaming market with PC. Yeah. So if they start cutting that up, they may not be enough for them to survive, and that might start gravitating back towards micro, specifically Microsoft with Windows PC and with Xbox One and that compatibility. Yeah, I honestly don't think. I mean, look, Valve is smart, Gabe mm-hmm. is smart. I'm sure he's thought about a million things that we aren't thinking about while we're sitting here talking about <laughs> it right now. So I have total faith that Valve would never do something that idiotic that yeah. would totally split up the market and affect them negatively in any way. Not so sure at this point that he would care if it hurt somebody else. Right. Whereas I would say maybe 10 years ago, if you asked me that about Gabe, I would have said, yeah, he would care about that. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of seen the evolution of Valve over time, not only just transferring from being a developer into a retailer, but just and also kind of how they deal with the community, and it's just been a bit of a metamorphosis for that company. They've become more of a corporation. Yeah, you know they know that they're they're what their brand is, what it means, and and how the, to best serve their community, but also how to how to squeeze those bucks out of you. And that's a, and their yeah. bottom line has become, you know, and understandably so, it's become important to them, you yeah. know, as a company. So I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how much that continues and how much that affects them in terms of marketing and in terms of. You know, making the steam machine, trying to put the steam machine, putting a steam machine in everybody's home. Yeah. You know? I think the first kind of clue that I had that they were changing was, I saw a story about their hiring practices and how they would manage their staff. And 
It used to be like you would go to work at Valve and you just kind of show up and you'd walk around and meet with these different groups of people and kind of figure out where you fit in. Mm-hmm. And you just become a part of that group and you just be absorbed by them and suddenly you were on that team and their, their logic was, well, if you're doing what you love and what you're interested in, you're going to do it really well. And then I saw a story a few years ago where they're like, yeah, we don't really do that anymore because it ended up being a disaster because people started taking advantage of it. They would come to work. They'd try to find the group that was doing the easiest project or they'd try to find the group who seemed like they weren't busy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you'd end up having like these groups of like 50 people working on this one project where probably could have been accomplished by like two or three. So... You know, I admire them for trying to yeah. change the workplace, but it is kind of funny how ultimately human nature ends up winning the day, and you kind of have to go back to the way cor- it shows you why things are certain ways after yeah. corporations have been in business for a long time. So just to kind of close this topic out, how do you really think it will cut into console sales? Like, I don't think this holiday season, maybe not, because no. I think it's going to be tough for them to get the machines out. But what about, like, next holiday season and, like, the next 12 months? How much do you see that impacting the sales of the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One and, ultimately, the NX, which is going to be this new console coming out yeah. that may or may not be as powerful as some of the Steam boxes? Yeah, I think the thing with Steam is is that what's going to be hard for them to make a dent in the market is because there's so many different manufacturers making all these different models that it's going to be almost, for some people, as harrowing as buying a PC because... Well, do I want the i3, the i5, the i7 processor? Do, do you I feel want... like people have gotten better with that lately, though? Because my wife just bought a new Mac. Mm-hmm. And three or four years ago, if my wife were to buy a PC or a comp- any kind of computer, I would have bought it. Like, right. she'd have been like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this with my photos. I want to do this with my music. And then I would make the decision for her, and I would make the smart purchase for her. Mm-hmm. This time, it was completely different. She basically bought the whole thing herself. She asked me, like, a couple questions. Like, you know, how much does an average song, like, take up on a hard drive? To try to figure out how big the hard drive that she wanted was. And, like, what's the processing speed of your PC, your gaming PC right now? Like, questions like that to help her create kind of a scale for herself to Mm -hmm. figure out what she wanted. But that was it. Like, she made that purchase on her own. And so I feel like... A lot of people have figured it out, and I think a lot of it has to do with smartphones, how people now are more invested in their smartphones, and they know you know, how space, how much space affects like, what they can do and processor mm. speed and stuff like that. Like, people understand, first of all, like, what a graphics card is now and what like, yeah. a, a CPU is and what RAM is, and they know yeah. what it does. And so I almost feel like consumers have become better educated on this stuff, and maybe they could make these decisions now. It's true, but I think that... like. Also, looking at, again, coming back to price point, I think, that the cheapest Steam machine right now that I've seen is $450. You know, you can get... You can get a PS4, you can get an Xbox One for less than that. Oh, now you can get them, like, the deals that, like, yeah. come up every day. It's like, you typically get either one of those consoles for, like, 350 and they'll throw in, like, a game or two, or, like, $50 PSN credit or whatever, so... Exactly. So, but if you, like, because consumers are so much savvy, so much more savvy, if they... You know, they might look at it and be like, well, you know what, I want to play games, but let me, I'm just going to get an Xbox One because it's 350 without the Kinect. And whereas, why would I spend the $700 version of the Steam machine, which is what I really would probably need for that, to really play the games that I want to play at the highest level quality when I could just get it for Xbox One or PS4 and get it for cheaper. So I think that until, until people figure out where, um, 
you know, what price point, where, what price points they want, where they, what they, what they're really getting from a Steam machine compared to a console. I think we're gonna, it's gonna definitely be a while before Steam machines can make any sort of serious dent in the market. All right, so let's move on to the next topic, and our next topic is the NX. We didn't have to wait too long to get to it, so it came out this week that Nintendo. Well, I don't even know if it came out. It was like a rumor in a story from a newspaper in Asia that Nintendo wants to basically have production of its new console ready to go basically by E3 of next year and yeah. want to release the console by July of next year, the month after E3. Ray, one, is this even feasible? Because they haven't shown the console yet. They still haven't started manufacturing. Yeah. So from a from a production standpoint, do you think that it's even a possibility? No, because I mean the, the rumor the rumors that they said they want to make twenty million they want to have twenty million units ready to go, and I think that even if they were to get the two or three different uh, technolo technology manufacturers that they are looking at starting to churn things out now, I don't think there's any way they could possibly hit that number. I mean, 20 million, 20, 20 million <laughs> units, you might not realize, that's a, that's a ton of hardware. Well, if we think about it, so far that's all the PS4 has sold pretty much, and it's sold like gangbusters. So yeah. that's to me, is kind of a red flag that that yeah. figure, because when I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, whoever gave them this information doesn't sound that informed to me if they would yeah. even assume, especially after the debacle that's been the Wii U. Yeah. For Nintendo to be that ballsy and say, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to roll with like 20. I mean, those yeah. 20 million consoles, if it was the Wii U, would still be sitting in warehouses waiting to like be shipped out for sales. So yeah, no, exactly. I think the thing is, is that Nintendo, I think, they've even admitted to the mistakes they've made with the Wii U, that the consumer was misinformed, that they didn't really get in front of it, the product as much as they should have. Uh, you know, they were, they were basically relying so much on the, the success of the Wii that they figured, oh, everybody knows everything that Nintendo's doing and, they, and made a lot of stumbling blocks with the Wii U. So I, don't, I think that we're showing it for the first time at E3 next year, which is when we know we for, for sure we'll see the NX for the first time. At the very least. At yeah. the very least. Uh, and then trying to release it a month later would be would be insane. That'd be almost suicide. Let's pull it like a Sega Saturn, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> like I mean, where they were like, "Hey, here's a Saturn, and by the way, you can go buy it right now." Yeah, no, I, that would be the worst thing they could do because people were misinformed. There's no hype behind it. They need to. They know that they need to take at least a year, maybe July 2017. Yeah. I could see <laughs> where they, you know, have at least a year time behind it, informing people, telling them what's different about this console, what's special about it. Uh, and, and really, and that would also make more sense because that would give the Wii U, even though they're not obviously, it's it's been a flop. It, it, it's flat out. That's it is the one a thing I was going to bring up is that they are in a situation that they have never been in ever. Yeah. The Wii U is its worst selling console ever. Yeah. Even the GameCube topped twenty million. Mm -hmm. I think it actually maybe finally got to twenty five million. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's around roughly what it ended up selling. And the GameCube was a huge failure. Make yeah. no mistake, like. 25 million was still a disaster. Yeah. So here they are sitting at like 9, 10-ish million, a yeah. couple years after launch. I mean, they're desperate. And yeah. so I could see where, you know, anytime you're trying to analyze something, you use past data, mm -hmm. or you, at least you try to. And so you would say, oh, well, look at past data. Mm -hmm. This doesn't make sense. This would never happen. But right. this is a green frontier right now that we're talking about with Nintendo. It's never been in this position before. It's never been in a place where two years after its console launched, it finally started turning a profit and a, a, a meager one at that. Yeah. 
And so maybe this is desperate Nintendo, and maybe they are at a place where they've they've moved their production up. And then the other angle to this whole thing, and another story that came out this week, was that Miyamoto is not working on the mm-hmm. NX. And yeah. so that also makes me, well, that adds a whole other angle to this whole thing, because Miyamoto has been the one who has always driven the control innovations, right. and a lot of times in, you know, with the Wii U even. Like, yeah. you know, their important thing was, like, latency between the gamepad and the television. Yeah. And that was the big thing that they wanted to focus on. And when they weren't getting it right, that's what ultimately delayed the console, but that was a lot of Miyamoto there. So yeah. he's pulled out of this. Yeah. He's only got a very top-down, kind of very, very hands-off approach to this one, yeah. And if he's doing that, and he's not demanding that they come up with some brand new type of interface or something like that, or some crazy new control scheme, does it become more plausible that it could? I mean, it, I mean, it could, but I think that just looking at Nintendo, it should be so unlike them to panic. I think even with as poorly as the Wii U's done... It just seems like they are... They the, never they, panicked with they, the Wii U. They never, ever panic when it comes to no matter how, how good they're doing, no matter how bad they're doing. They stay the course. They're, they are, you know, they are constantly, at least on the surface, always very calm. Always, you know, they always are ready to come up with a... Please understand. Point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, you know? So, I mean, they, the, for, they, for me to think that they would ha- allow somebody who isn't Miyamoto to come in and basically say, we need to rush production on this... With so many old school guys still there, and still Miyamoto and Iwata there, basically having this top-down overview on things, I don't think that they would allow Nintendo to rush into anything, especially with so much probably on the line with this next console, because they can't afford to have back-to-back flops. But let me ask you this, though. So, E3, Nintendo's E3. Mm -hmm. Um, In hindsight, I think maybe it did a little better than people were saying at first blush. You know, fresh out of the Nintendo Direct from E3. Everyone was pretty much down on them. But if you look back, like, they did have an okay lineup. Yeah. And most of the games are coming out very soon. But there's not much coming out after very soon. I mean, so, you know, by all appearances, and for all intents and purposes, Nintendo has kind of moved on from the Wii U. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Like as much as they, as much as they said as much as Awada said during the shareholders meeting this week that they hadn't, all everything on the surface basically shows that after the first quarter of next year basically, except for the Legend of Zelda which Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it got delayed so much that it becomes a launch title for right. NX. Yeah. Uh, they really don't have it. They don't have a long window. Of, they don't have a long lineup. Runway, yeah. yeah for, They're for running Wii out games. of runway. Yeah, so, but I mean, the thing is, they did the same thing with the Wii, right? When they started gearing up for Wii U, is they kind of just let the Wii's library just kind of be like, you all have the games you love, you already have them, enjoy them, wait for the Wii U now. You know, so I have the feeling that, and you know, once they we reached, don't have all the games we love though for well, that's the, that's the, <laughs> for that's, the, that's the problem right is that but the thing is I mean is, honestly they're not missing much they're missing a Metroid game they're yeah. missing a Zelda game they've kind of checked all the other boxes at this point though as long as what you know when you buy a Nintendo console yeah and when you're thinking about buying it and you finally pull the trigger on it the list of games that you expect that you'll get to play before it's sent off to pasture. Those, yeah. you know, it's missing a Zelda. Yeah. And, well, I mean, unless you count the Wind Waker remake. Which, 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 which I know. wouldn't. Which, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't either. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's got several Mario games. Several I mean, Mario games, Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, which they're supporting far after launch more than they ever have before. And they're doing a much better job with DLC in general. Yes. 
I, I know for a fact that like their 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 Smash Brothers DLC is doing better than they anybody had ever anticipated because people were just that's that right now that's the one game you have to have a Wii U for yeah. is Smash Brothers. Uh, so I mean. It There's not much left for there, them to really say, "Hey, we kind of did all we could." Yeah, so I wouldn't be surp- I wouldn't be surprised if, especially because it would give the Wii U a five-year life cycle. If NX comes out 2017, that would be 2012 to 2017 would be the life of the Wii U. They kind of doing what they did with the Wii, which you're like, "All right, the last year of the Wii U, it's gonna sit there and it's gonna collect dust. We'll do a little things." Splatoon was a surprise hit for the Wii U. Yeah. New IP sold like gangbusters in the top five on the MPD for May when it was and only out for three days. And they're feeding that with DLC as well. Exactly. Free Con- DLC. Free DLC, constantly new, every month new modes, new yeah. skins. The Amiibos have been a huge hit for them, again with Smash Brothers and Splatoon yeah. and a couple other games. Even got a Kirby game on the Wii U that was really good. Rainbow, yeah. Rainbow Curse, don't sleep on Rainbow Curse. Yeah, yeah. And they so, have Yoshi coming, which is eh, getting pretty good reviews. It looks cute. Yeah. It looks cute. I mean, like you know what you get, you know what you want from a Nintendo console, like you said, and they're going to deliver it for the Wii and it's going to probably go silent for a little while and then they're going to concentrate on building up the NX. That's what I really think they're going to do. So I, I'm not I'm not worried. This is this seems like Nintendo just kind of doing their usual thing. It's just everybody's kind of blowing things out of proportion because the Wii U was so bad. Yeah. You know. So I, I but I think I wouldn't worry and I wouldn't be surprised. I do not think the NX is coming sooner than 2017. So you would say Best case scenario, 2017. That is the earliest you would say you think you would ever see the. I say the I would I say early fall 2017 would be the earliest we get the NX. Really, early fall of 2017. Yeah, I don't even think I don't even think the summer. I think that because because they're gonna they're gonna want to get around it. They know that even though the summer's a dead time and people might eat it up because it might be the only thing that's coming out. Really though, putting it out, dropping a bomb like that in the middle of the hall, you know, let's say late September, early October, dropping something like that right then and there would be a huge way to also probably try and put a dent into Sony and Microsoft's holiday sales because they're going to, like I said, I think they're going to come hard with these, this NX. They're going to push it really hard. They're going to make sure the consumer is informed as possible. You're gonna, I think you're going to get like the Warner Brothers and Ubisoft treatment where you got a trailer every day. You're going to have Nintendo Directs like every week talking about the <laughs> NX. And they are going to just make sure that you know everything you want. And they're going to have so much hype going up into this console that I think that they're going to make sure it, it, it can't fail. I would say that I think best case scenario, Q4 of next year. Like, I know people are saying July. Like, I think July is completely impossible, and mm-hmm. I think it would be stupid to launch in July on top of all that. Yeah. But I do think Q4 of next year is a possibility, at least maybe in Japan, maybe not in the U.S. And I would say spring of 2017. I mean, that's not typically when you launch a video game console, yeah. but I don't know that Nintendo wants to be there in Q4 with Microsoft and Sony anyway. Mm-hmm. Trying to get people to buy his console when, I mean, look at it this way, too. Q4 of next year and Q4 2017, we are going to be getting the very best games from both Xbox One and PlayStation 4. I mean, those are the golden years for those machines. And so I could see a scenario where Nintendo tries to avoid those big Q4s for those other machines, tries to find a pocket of time where they are kind of on their own and they can kind of have and tell their own story. So I would say earliest Q4 of next year, but I would say more likely spring of 2017. Definitely, though, 2017. Sometime in 2017, I think we agree. All right. All right, another big story of one of the big three platform holders trying to not just survive, but thrive. And so rumors came out this week that Microsoft is in talks 
with trying to buy AMD. And if you're not familiar with what AMD is, AMD builds video cards, processors, things like that. Basically, they're trying to buy the PC platform. <laughs> I mean, right now, AMD's video cards are not the most popular on the market. In fact, they've struggled a little bit. They did just release new technology that they're saying once the drivers get up to speed for that new technology, it might actually be superior to the competition. There's big stories in here hidden, yeah. hidden in this. And this is the thing. It's like, oh, Microsoft buys AMD. People may not think there is. This is a huge deal. If it were to yeah. go through, it could be a game changer on many fronts. Where do you think it could have the most impact, though? Oh, goodness. I mean, well, I mean, a big, a big thing for this would be, obviously, it helps Microsoft not only save costs because they have AMD hardware in their all their Xbox Ones, and there have been reports reporting well, they'll save $300 million a year. Some said they'll save a billion a year. I'm not a financial wizard. I don't know where exactly it would fall, but they will definitely be saving costs per console by buying them. And right now, AMD's stock is at an all-time low. Well, it bounced back a little bit after these rumors came out, yeah. but before that, they were at an all-time low. Uh, also... AMD hardware is inside the PS4. Yeah, I that know. means every time a PS4 sells, Microsoft, Microsoft is getting money. Is making money. <laughs> so it's basically almost yeah. as if you know, and Microsoft has been all about well, when video games do well, we all do well. Well, this would definitely be a case, that, yeah. that scenario <laughs> is that you know, yeah. if if Sony sells something, Microsoft makes money. If Microsoft sells something, Microsoft makes money. So I mean, that would be the big thing about this is that AMD. I mean, hardware, it's more than big. I mean, it would be huge. It's yeah, like it, massive. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Sony would have to write a check to Microsoft, you know, every month or six months or however that happened. Every you know. time it sold a PS4. Exactly. You know, I mean, that 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 would completely change the game because that Sony then is basically supporting their most, you know, direct competitor. So, I mean, that would, for me, is the biggest story coming out of this. And, I mean, that. look, Microsoft's doing a little bit of that now with mm -hmm. Blu-ray drives in the Xbox right. One. I mm -hmm. mean, this is nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, Sony made a ton of money off the CD-ROM and, you know, Blu-rays are making money off other devices. It's not just off of their video game consoles. So right. it's not out of the ordinary, but I think the magnitude mm -hmm. of this one is huge. Yeah, no, exactly. I think this would be far bigger than anything that we've seen before because there's so, mu so much of the hardware in both systems runs on AMD tech. I mean, again, I think somebody said that $100 worth of an Xbox One's hardware goes back to... AMD, and again, I don't know. This was just this came out in the, one of the reports. I think uh, don't quote me on this. Might have been Forbes. I was looking at all the different. I never go to these Forbes. Uh, first of all, I would yeah. never trust Forbes. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> but I was going to all these just different... because they allow pretty much anyone to write stories, and they're a little deceptive on when right. you go to that site. They're not like, hey, this is just some dude who likes yeah. this stuff. <laughs> but I, I, I was looking at sites that I usually don't look at because you know, I'm, again, not a financial expert here, right, so right. I don't know all these specifics uh, of all this, but. Uh, I mean, the fact that if it is that much, or even close to that much, that Microsoft has to give back to AMD, I mean, for them to recoup those costs with every Xbox One they manufacture... Uh, is a would be a huge huge deal for them, and then again now yeah, yeah and now, then and then getting money from Sony on top of it, like I mean that's but then also you got to think about the future. So yeah. they so let's say they buy AMD mm -hmm. and Xbox One and PS4 run their course and they start taking money from Sony, which I'm sure they will cash those checks with a big smile on their face. Yeah, then you start talking about the PlayStation Five, yeah. and do you partner with AMD again? Yeah, or do. You, I mean, you kind of do. You kind of have to. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the other part of it too is that AMD is starting to get really heavily involved in VR, mm -hmm. and while the jury's kind of out on how successful it's going to be out of the gate, and you know, over the next couple years, I think inevitably it is going to be a smashing success. Yeah. And 
you know, Sony almost gets backed into a corner here where they're giving huge chunks of money to Microsoft for their next machine as well. Because, yeah. I mean, look, you're going to work with AMD on your next machine. I mean, yeah. they have the factories to be able to crank this stuff out at a cost that can keep your can keep the PlayStation 4 at the launch price that it was at, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, you think about it now, the short term is it's kind of a big deal and it's kind of funny to see like Microsoft maybe getting payments from Sony over that stuff, but when you yeah. really look down the runway yeah. and you start thinking about, okay, well Sony, if you think about it, right now they're probably working on PlayStation they're 5. They're probably R&Ding all that stuff, yeah. Yep, they're doing at least like their due diligence and researching things and trying to figure out where the market's going to be whenever they're ready to release it in whatever, however many years it is when they finally are ready to do that. You know, and they're looking at this deal. I mean, it also could delay things a good bit. I mean, it could also get to a weird case where if you think about it, if these two, let's say the Xbox 2 or whatever the hell they end up calling them, the next <laughs> Xbox, and the PlayStation 5, they're both getting ready to come out. And, you know, there's a lot of times at, at launch you can't get as many consoles as you want. And let's say Sony does sign a deal with AMD and Microsoft has, you know, is relying on AMD, obviously, if they bought the company to produce its consoles, you get to a place where AMD is like, sorry, Sony, like... Yeah, Microsoft's priority, we're gonna, and we have, and they limit the hardware then they offer to Sony to produce units. Yeah, right. I mean, the, could this could huge. have huge ramifications. Yeah. Again, it's one of those stories that just kind of like slides in. Yeah. And then I start thinking about it and really start looking down the road a little bit at it, and I'm like, holy crap, like... Yeah. It could be really smart for Microsoft to do this, I guess, is really what I'm trying to get at here. Like, And right now, with, again, their stock being as low as it is, this would be a drop in the bucket for Microsoft oh, yeah. with their cash reserves to pick up AMD. And it also goes back to before, we are talking about the Steam Machine divide, because then suddenly, you know, you have Windows PC stuff, you know, with AMD and all this stuff. You can start, again, forcing more of a divide, being like, well... You know, if AMD starts producing all these, you know, like things that they said they were, that would get them up to the speed with their competitors, Suddenly now you're even you're even talking to people more about what brand are you loyal to. You are you know you then associate AMD with Microsoft, and then you'll have Steam. You'll have these PCs that'll then not you know they'll have to probably not be able to use AMD AMD stuff without having to kick something back to Microsoft, even if they do get their own OS. Yeah. So I mean, there's on both sides of the fence. Microsoft would really position themselves in a a position of power, oh, that, yeah. of, of huge power. That if, if they were to take AMD on board, which again it, it wouldn't it would cost them. I think they're uh, the the company was estimated at one point eight billion, which micro and Microsoft which seems like not even close to what they no. should be valued at. No, like but, AMD to me should be worth way more than one point eight billion. Yeah, but that's what they're being that's what they're being estimated as, and Microsoft has cash reserves. Dude, they could close, save that. Yeah. They could get that money back in like two years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it, it would be nothing for them. It would be such a huge. It'd be an amazing short term investment but it would be a game-changing long-term one. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's move on to yet another controversy in the <laughs> industry. And this is coming from a game that just can't seem to get away from it. Destiny has had a rough couple weeks here, Ray. I mean, really rough. Yeah. I mean, the first, the first issue is the Taken King's price. They're yeah. basically asking, is it for, it's $40, 40 bucks, yep. for what amounts to an expansion pack. And obviously fans... Uh, bought the last expansion pack for less, but still were not happy with what they got. I mean, I don't think anybody was happy with the, the, the package that they got the last time with DLC. So they're looking at the Taken King and they're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we paid less last time and still didn't get our money's worth. So, and honestly, if you really look at what they got with the last expansion, 
It wasn't much. No. It seemed not. like it was hyped up a lot more than what they ultimately delivered on it. And so, understandably, Destiny mm -hmm. players are a little nervous over, over this. And then, to make matters worse, a guy who used to be a video game journalist, I don't know if you knew him or if he was before your time, but a guy who used to work in games, I believe he worked at IGN, He's now like the creative director at Bungie or the community mm -hmm. man. I can't really remember what his title is. He does an interview with Eurogamer and just basically loses it and becomes very combative and a little antagonistic at times. And just, I mean, ultimately just gave Eurogamer a lot of attitude and basically said like, look, when these people see what we're giving them, they're going to be happy with it, and that's that. Well, the fact of the matter <laughs> is, with the last Destiny expansion, yeah. the exact opposite happened. Yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody has been happy with this game yet. In terms Actually, of, you're in, right. Like in, in terms of in terms of whenever they release a DLC or a new raid or anything, there's or always, the base game. Even. Exactly. There's just been so much backlash with it at every phase. What makes you think Taken King is going to be any different? from anything you've released in the past. I mean, I'm still amazed at how many people I know who still are playing it and grinding it because I gave up on it a while ago. Yeah, I, I mean, too. It just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not nearly, they did not deliver on anything they promised at any phase of it in DLC or like you said, the initial game. Or the base game. Yeah. I mean, the base game fell really short. Like, if yeah. you go back and look, this is, could be true of a lot of games where mm -hmm. you say, look at what they promised initially and what the game ultimately was, but... In the case of Destiny, it is really true, man. Like, yeah. they said they were going to deliver this epic, like, story intertwined. It was like, there was, like, nothing to the story. The, the, there was, it was the most bare-bones narrative I've played in a game like that in, in forever. Yeah. Like, I mean, for everything, they, again, for everything they had promised, oh, it'll be MMO-level, you know, style. It was going to have these, you know, we're going to have this amazing backstory, and you can't wait till you find out what the Traveler is, what's it doing on Earth, and all this other stuff. And it just was like, and, and, and everybody's, all they still talk about is Wizards on the Moon. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, that's the big thing. Well, then there's, like, the queen. Like, they never really... That storyline never went anywhere. No. Like, it, it's been a huge letdown. And so yeah. for Bungie to take that tact with its fans and its customers yeah. is pretty bad. It, I mean, bordering, bordering on deplorable in some ways, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, you can, you, when you can never... You can never ostracize your fan base like that. Well, I mean, that. the crazy like, thing to me is that 20 million people have played this game. Yeah, I can't believe it. No, I can't believe it. I can't believe it either because we, I, I didn't like it. Nobody on our, anybody on our staff liked it. It was, it was. There are some people like, I yeah. mean, look, there are some people that are still playing this game and they're yeah. still grinding it. I'll see them on Twitter, be like, "Up, uh, booting up Destiny again." I'm just like, "What Why? are you doing?" There's literally <laughs> nothing better for you to do out there. I don't get like, it. Like seriously, there's nothing better. There's so many other games out there, and you're still grinding Destiny. Yeah, I don't get it, man. Like, I really don't. But they are. There's a lot of people. Like, yeah. there's a whole podcast on IGN that's just for Destiny of people that are like that. They go home every night and play Destiny. Again, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I got to level 18. I played every mission on the initial game. And I said, why am I going to grind to level 30? There was, just, there was nothing there for me. It was also completely unclear to me how you got to level 30. Yeah. Like, they're like, you go here and then you get, like, light stuff. And I'm like, light? What? Like, they're, that's they're, where has that been the whole time I've been playing this game? Their systems and the explanation of it was is some of the worst I feel like the game is just so far over my head at this point. Like, look, I played that game. Yeah. I finished that game. I played the multiplayer for dozens of hours. Yeah. And when people talk about Destiny, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah. Like, I was at E3 hanging around a couple of journalists, and they were talking about Destiny, and I couldn't even join the conversation. Like, yeah. the words and the stuff that they were using, I was just like, did I even play this game? Yeah. Like, I felt like I hadn't played it. Yeah. No, it, it, it's... 
it's just veered off into this weird, like, uber niche. Yeah. And I, like, maybe it's smart, and they have the numbers to crunch to know whether it's smart or not. And maybe they're playing to their fan base, and that's what they should be doing at this point. Like, I don't know. All I know is, is as somebody who played this game to completion mm-hmm. and played the multiplayer components a great deal, yeah. I have zero desire to go back and play this game. Yeah. I feel like I'm completely lost in it now. Like, I have no idea what I would even no. do if I started playing again. I feel like everybody... I'm intimidated because I feel like everybody's been playing it, and if I were to jump in, I would just get annihilated in the multiplayer, and I would get annihilated in the raids and all the other stuff. Like... Well, that's the worst thing, right? They ostracized a lot of people who played their game. Yeah, that's the thing. With this, this is not a game that if if you can't you can't jump back into it after taking a six month break or whatever. Or maybe you could, but I'm just completely petrified of the of the thought of it. It doesn't come across that right. Doesn't come off as a game that you could do that. So I mean, it's it's no, that's just been the the horror thing, the the horrible thing. And the Taken King is just the latest, you know, the latest on top of this pile of absolute failure in terms of, of relating to. The, the widest audience possible for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's... I mean, of course, I mean, I don't know if he did this whole thing with Red Bull. Yeah, that, but, nice segue. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, it's just like... So, I mean, I don't know if people heard out there with the Red Bull debacle where they're putting codes for one quest on Red Bull cans, but So all, you get a quest that yeah. other people won't get until January. So you get right. access to... They, they call it a multi-part quest right. that you'll get now, and then everybody else will get it for free in January. And then you get a 30-minute XP boost. Per yeah. can, I believe that's... Per, that's... per can. But the, the thing is, is that already on, on Gaff and on Reddit, people have already found ways to crack the codes. So you don't have to buy the cans. You just go to these forums. You get the, the code simulator, and you can just put it in. So all these, there's all these Red Bull cans out there now worthless. That, are, that are worthless. Yeah. I mean, Other than the Red Bull that's in them. Which, to me, is already worthless because I can't, <laughs> I can't stand the taste of Red Bull. I'm either. addicted to Red Bull. Oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. I'd rather drink my own urine than drink Red Bull. Red Bull's oh. helped me survive the last three months. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Call me old school. Just give me a cup of coffee. I, I, just, I can't do Red Bull, dude. But, yeah, no. Like, but, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, you're just basically buying Red Bull and you go in to put in the code and it's worthless yeah. because the code it's such an easy simulator simulator it's already been cracked yeah. so that's just another thing that for Destiny where they've let their fan base down yeah you know or the, at least their fan base that went out to buy a can of Red Bull yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to yet another controversy, another one. <laughs> this one is for Metroid Prime Federation Force. Talk about letting your fan base down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, look, I want to just start with this by saying that I think people are completely overreacting. Like, yeah, I get it. You know, it probably shouldn't be called Metroid Prime, or it probably should be called Metroid, or maybe they could get away with just calling it Metroid something. Yeah. And maybe that's what they should have done is just called it Metroid, because there is, like, the ball mechanic in this game. But... Come on, man. Like, you start a petition to cancel the game? Yeah. Not, like, rename it or rebrand it, which still is kind of, would be kind of silly. Yeah. It's, no, no, cancel the game. Yeah. They start this petition. Only 10,000 people had initially signed it. I think it's up to, like, 12,000 Yeah, I heard, I heard 12,000 was the last number, yeah. And, so. how look, how ridiculous have, one, these petitions gotten, Ray? Like, we are a rage-addicted society, at this point, and in every little thing that doesn't fit our perfect idea of what somebody who gets paid a lot more money than we do to probably to think this stuff through, it's, it's because it doesn't fall into what we think they should do. It automatically means we have to flip out, we have to throw a hissy fit, we have to throw a temper tantrum, and it's just first off, we have no idea if the game is actually any good or not because we've only seen the trailer. Well, uh, no, I mean they've shown a ton of the game, like well, the Treehouse did, like. Oh. 
because it only had so many games to show at E3, oh, the right. Treehouse right. actually right. ended up streaming like three hours of the game. Like, <laughs> actually, they did that with every Nintendo game at E3. Like, usually it's like their Treehouse at E3, like the year before, like they do one demo of each game, mm-hmm. and maybe for the very biggest one, they do like an encore. Right. This year, like, they did every game, like, every day. So, oh, wow. there actually is a ton of footage of this game out there. Granted, a lot of it's of the same levels and things like that, but right. there's a lot out there, so. so. Okay, so, I mean, all right, so, it's still, but still, though, until you actually play the game, until you actually, you know, and even if it's not what you wanted, you just, you, you can't, you can't flip out to the point where you're demanding, like, people's jobs and their livelihoods just because they didn't provide something that you want, you know, you know, the, you know how you how you pr- protest this game. You don't buy it. Yeah, that's all you have to do. You don't buy it. It's yeah, simple. I've been saying that to like our watcher, our viewers for years. It's like yeah. you can just vote with your money. That's all you have to it's do. All, and, and that and that will get a lot more attention to Nintendo than this twelve thousand petition or the seventy four thousand dislikes on the trailer on yeah, YouTube. It's, just sad. it's, an, it's a nine to one ratio almost. I think it's seventy four thousand dislikes to seven thousand likes. Even Reggie this week came out and admitted that the reception has not been what they had hoped. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean... But I mean, he also said, like, trust us. Like, we know what we're doing. Like, yeah. you know, you've loved us all this time. Why would you not love us now over one 3DS game? I mean, that's yeah. the other part of it, too, that I think just makes it ridiculous. Is like, I could see a little more ire if it were a Wii U game where they're going to yeah. have to invest, like, tons of money into the game and, like... You know, they have this massive team working on it, but that's not the case here. Like, they have probably a 20-guy team working on this game, max, I would say. That might even be generous. Like, probably 10 or 15 people working on it. Yeah, it's a small section of of Next Level who's a developer. Yeah, I mean, it's not taking away resources from them finishing Zelda U. Like, it's not... It's not taken away from the next Mario game for NX or whatever. Like, yeah. it's it's this little side project that they're trying to fill in holes in the 3DS's, like, release schedule right now. Because yeah. that is the one platform that's actually making the money. So, yeah. you know, one, I don't fault them for making a Metroid game for the 3DS. Because it'll sell probably three times the amount of copies. Well, maybe. Maybe not now. Yeah. But it would have sold three times the copies that it would have sold on the Wii U. So, one, I get that. and And two, like... You know, I don't have a problem with them putting Metroid on it either. Metroid Prime, a little dicey. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, is that you have all the enemies from Metroid are in there. The Metroids are in there. All, all the creatures that you're used to fighting, a few new ones. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it's a, sp- it's a spin-off. Matt, right? what was the joke that you made before we started recording about the Federation Force? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was basically just said, um, you know, I've never played a Metroid game and come away thinking like, wow, that was great, but... I sure wish I knew more about the Federation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, people are here for Samus, people. Yeah. And, like, I really think part of the problem is, like, people have been waiting for a new Metroid since Other M, and this is what we get. Yeah. And they've also said now that, you know, we're probably not going to get a Metroid until the NX. I think the other part of it, too, is that there was just so much buildup because... You know, Retro had done that little tease leading up to E3 where yeah. they pointed to Nintendo's E3 page, so everyone kind of assumed, that, and myself included, that they were going to show a new game there. They didn't. They yeah, didn't no. show anything. Yeah, Retro wasn't there at all. And so I think that built people's hopes up that, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to see a Metroid Prime as yeah. a swan song for the Wii U. And so it's almost like a double whammy. It's yeah. like, we didn't get the new Retro game. We're not getting a Metroid game for the Wii U. But we are getting a Metroid game, and it's for the 3DS, and it doesn't star the star of the star franchise. Samus. Yeah. yeah, Samus isn't it at all. It looks, it looks almost a little cartoony, like in terms of its design. Like it's not nearly as serious yeah. as as the, the previous Metroid games. 
Um, and yeah, and then you've got this ridiculous. I guess maybe what the. I think it still looks fun, actually. Though that's the crazy part. Like I'm actually still excited to play this game. Yeah, I mean, it might not, it, <laughs> I, I want to play it. It might not be a bad shooter, but I mean, of course, shooters on the 3DS aren't. It's not exactly the, what this the system no, is known for. No, for sure. Um, you know, it doesn't have you the ex- that Circle Pad Pro, probably. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have the it doesn't have the uh, exploration aspects of Metroid that people really love. And I think that also the the, the the I looked at the multiplayer mode, and I think, oh, this is what the was it that Mario Spikers? This is what that left of uh, Next Level's 2014 canceled game. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that, that's what it is in the multiplayer mode because it's like soccer with. A right. shoot, with, a, with, a, with a shooter, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, and I don't think of, uh, and I don't think of four-player co-op when I think of the 3DS either. Yeah. Which is, was another big thing they were touting. And I think, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, sure, Monster Hunter, and there's a couple of games out there that really, you know, support it. But otherwise, the 3DS has always kind of been more of a solitary experience, and I think that would have made it perfect for a Metroid game, and which, again, people have been starving for, and this just is not anything that people expected. And not what they wanted. But again, the best way to go about saying that you don't want something is just not to buy it. Yep. And I have a feeling that that might happen for once. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that no matter what you brand this game as, you could say this uh, is Metroid Prime, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario. All in one. Yeah, you know, exactly. Three in one. And I think people will still turn away from it. Yeah. That seems to be the prevailing opinion right now anyway. So, okay, for the last topic of the big six... Nolan North, the guy does not know how to keep his mouth shut. Say, he's got a big, he had a big mouth. <laughs> well, he, yeah, so he goes and does this panel, and I don't know if you watched any of the panel. Very informal. He's just kind of sitting there on a table. Yeah. It almost looked like it was a yard sale, and he's just like taking questions at his yard sale yeah. or something. It's very <laughs> weird. But the guy just starts talking. He talks about like Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. And how, like, UB originally had one plan for it, and yeah. how it ended up flying off the rails, and he was unhappy. Like, first of all, I'll just say, and he was unhappy with how it turned out. Yeah. After they had, he worked for them, and they had paid him probably copious amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Then he starts talking, and someone asked him a question about The Last of Us. And he yeah. basically spills that, well, I don't even know if you call it spilling it, because I think we all assume it, it's happening. Right. But there is a sequel to The Last of Us on the way. And then the voice actor from Joel, Troy Baker, comes out and says, oh, I don't know about all that. Well, we'll get into this in a minute, but I don't know if he would be involved in the project anyway. So, anyway, I think we could all assume The Last of Us 2 is coming. Whether his information was legit or not, eventually there's going to be a Last of Us 2. Yeah. And so, in light of this, let's talk about what we want to see in a sequel to The Last of Us. Ray, what was your biggest criticism of the first game, would you say? Oh, my biggest criticism of the first If you thing. have any. I mean, no, I'm just trying to think back. I mean, the, the biggest thing I think was there was so much... It felt like there was so much gunplay. Like there was, It seemed like every few moments, there was no chance for to explore and really and get into what had happened to this world. It just seemed like you were always moving from point to point, from gun battle to gun battle. So I think if we did a Last of, a Last of Us 2, when it does happen... I would like to see a chance for more exploration, maybe a wider, maybe not a full open world, because obviously with the detail they had, I mean, of course, though, with PS4 instead of PS3, they might be able to to really build, or PS5, depending on whatever it may yeah. come, really build a true, you know, open world that had been taken over by the clickers and all this. But, you know, it's where it's not always having to just action scene, action scene, action scene, giving the characters a chance to breathe yeah. and giving you a chance to really take in this post-apocalyptic kind of world that you're in. What did you think about the AI? Because to me, I mean, look, I talked about this even before I left GT. Like, one thing I hoped with this generation of consoles would be that 
AI in games would get better. Mm-hmm. In, in all honesty, The Last of Us was one of the games that made me really think, like, hey, we can do better than this, and yeah. we need to do better than this. Because, you know, when your whole game is set up around, like, hey, let's not get caught by these crazy, I, don't, I guess zombies is probably the easiest way to describe them. Yeah. And you're standing right next to one, and it doesn't see you, and yeah. it doesn't know that you're there, and then Ellie's running out into the wide open, and they're yeah. not recognizing that she's... like. To me, that broke like a lot of yeah. the tension and the immersion from that game. And it, look, it wasn't just The Last of Us. This happens with every stealth game yeah. or pretty much any game where the enemy isn't supposed to know you're there or is supposed to know you're there based upon your location. So to me, I feel like AI and enemy awareness would yeah. be one of the first things that I would hope that they would improve on. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely agree with, with that, too. And I also I think also for player awareness... The fact that Joel had detective mode, basically, like, really was just, like, a huge thing that broke... It pulled me out of the immersion so much, because I'm like, how is he, like, psychically detecting where all the clickers are? Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, that was just, like, I think... And that, I think, also broke some of the tension, because you knew knew where the enemies were at every given moment, because you'd have been stupid not to use the detective mode. I mean, they gave you this tool for a reason, but I think it broke... It broke the tension. It broke... It made the stakes lesser... In each confrontation, and so I think upping the AI and the awareness, and even even if you have to introduce new clickers, which I think we would get at you know, oh, in a for sequel. Sure, yeah. uh, but also, I think making sure that the players are, you know, not not so the point where it's where you're dying every second, but you're also depowered a little bit. That you're in a, in a situation where you're having to overcome the odds. That this is truly a situation that you don't want to find yourself in. Whereas, you know, I mean. No matter what ammo you had or what bottles you were throwing or bricks or distraction, you never really felt like you were not going to beat this situation. You yeah. always knew you were going to find a way to overcome. Even if you took a couple of, couple of tries, you knew you were going to overcome it. And I think that, you know, depowering the players and upping the strength of the enemies would be a definitely a huge thing I'd like to see in a sequel. Let's I would talk- also just hope that Ellie has learned how to swim by, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> by, the, by the second Because also that was like... You know, what, near the end of the game, like, like nine, ten months have passed. I'm like, you didn't just spend a day teaching her how to swim in, like, <laughs> yeah. one of the yeah. rivers you found or something? Yeah. That, yeah, that was, those were some of the worst puzzles in the game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even the characters are like, here we go again. You know, I was like, get on the thing. Here we go. You know the drill. You yeah, know. it's just, no, exactly. It was kind of ridiculous. But that, that goes brings to the point, and possibly kind of going to what Troy Baker was saying, is Last of Us 2 doesn't necessarily have to follow... Joel and Ellie. Well, that's again. what I was about to say. You know, it's like, like that, you know, that may be a moot point because honestly, do we want it to be Joel and Ellie in the next game? No, I think I we'll see story them, been but told? I don't think we'll be them. No, I don't even think we need to see them. I'd like to see it in a completely different location, other side of the country. You know, stick us in the swamps of Florida or something. Yeah, but don't, you like, don't think you think they'd be able to resist like. Like bump, rub, six, bumping into like, them yeah, like sixty-year-old Ellie in like some place you end up like oh this is old girl and someone calls her Ellie just as you leave. Oh, at the very like, least, oh, at the very <laughs> least, they'll do something like that. Some kind, she really some was kind of the odd. last of us, you know. Like, but I mean, their story, their story's kind of told. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- look, it's not completely told. They're both still alive, right? But. But seriously, I mean, the, 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 nar- the narrative, they, it had a full <laughs> narrative arc that, you know... When and you, the DLC even showed kind of what happened before they met up. And, right, exactly. They fleshed out Ellie a little bit, you know, as a character. I mean, but I don't think you need 
to reopen, you know, reopen their story. I think it closed. I think whether you liked the ending or you didn't, I mean, I think it's a moot point because it's it's over. Their story is over, and I think you go. I think you find you follow. Different is that a smart move financially, though? Because look, I'll guarantee you, Naughty Dog spent probably two or three hundred thousand dollars just focus testing these characters and yeah. making sure that they resonated with people and that they were characters that people cared about. And then you spend a whole game kind of building that love and that... I mean, look, I felt for those characters, like, big time. Like, probably more than any game in the last several years. I mean, I really was a part of what they were experiencing and going through. Like, I felt it. Like, and we'll get to Batman in a bit, but that was a (laughs) game where I didn't feel anything for the people that were in the story. And in The Last of Us, I felt not just even for them. Like, I felt for the people that they came into contact with and the bad positions that they were put in. I mean, look, a lot of that is writing and timing mm-hmm. and just hitting all that stuff perfect, which Naughty Dog does really well. Yep. But can you flush all that down the toilet now, all that you've built up? And look, you could do it again, Yeah. but you know, you're go- you would be going against the video game grain, which I have no problem with at mm-hmm. all. In yeah. fact, generally, I revel in stuff like that and yeah. want it and look for it. But when you're talking about a game that's going to cost you $100 million to make or whatever... Or more. Who knows if it comes out next? Gen <laughs> expenses could go up even more. So, yeah. when you're talking about that type of a financial risk, you think they'll do it? I, I want them to do that. I want them to let Joel and Ellie's story go away. But I don't. I think I seeing your point. I mean, yeah, I think that it would be easier for them to keep Joel and Ellie around. But then you get into all the complications of like, you could do this whole thing with their relationship because obviously. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but obviously the end of the game was, you know, it was a big deal that uh, Joel and uh, Joel and Ellie both survived. We'll just yeah. put it as that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you could do unless you did something. What might be interesting is you only follow one of them, like where it comes out and like she she leaves Joel, or you know, or leaves you know leaves Joel behind and Ellie goes out on her own, or something happens to Joel. That might be a, a way to kind of do both. Well, they kind of did that with the DLC because the DLC right. was pretty much all Ellie. Right, but that might be a way to kind of like please that audience. Is like you still have Ellie, but you leave Joel behind, and maybe Ellie's five, six, seven years older now in this world, forging out on her own, knowing you know that she's special in some way because obviously she can't, she can't get infected. Yeah, um, and then she goes to you know you could you could do this whole you could build this whole you know background to her because oh she's special because she's not infected and then you know, can they go away from Ellie? With that fact, knowing that she's one of the people, and look, they did say, like, I don't want to spoil too much, but right. there were others like her. Yeah. And so she's not one of a kind, but, yeah. I mean, she is one of few. Yeah. And so can you go away? Does she need to be a part of the story because she is the linchpin of possibly beating this thing? I mean, you, the only yeah, the only way you go away from it is if, if you bring somebody else who is similar to her and that she, you know, that person cannot be infected. You know, and you, but to do that again would just be rehashing the story of the first one, I think. And I think then you get into, you know, it becomes repetitive. It becomes, you know, oh, we've played this before. Yeah. So I think sticking with, I think if they do bring back any of the characters, I think they just bring back Ellie and just follow her. 
Joel um, probably dead anyway. Well, exactly. And yeah, he's an old man. You know, he's like, he's like slowed down. You could even do a nice opening cutscene where he see he gets taken down by a bunch of clickers or something. Nice, a, a, a nice cutscene. Kick it off yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be emotional, right? It'll be like right from the, yeah, right yeah. From the beginning, like really have Just that rip your heart out right out of the gate. Exactly. Instead of waiting for halfway through, like they did with you know, it's like the well, they didn't wait halfway. They did it right at the beginning of Last of Us too. But That's the, right. Uh, so I mean. I, I think that doing it, doing that again, actually would actually be pretty kind of uh, fitting, and kind of say have Joel maybe get killed off in the beginning of Last of Us Two, and then Ellie goes out on her own and has to survive and find a new partner, maybe find a new partner. Yeah, make make alliances, maybe have a whole system where you having... recruit people. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you could do this. You <laughs> could make, form a, a gang make, or make it make it almost RPG like, yeah, yeah, and kind of really kind of push the envelope with it, but. No, you could do a lot of different things with The Last of Us too. I mean, but if you, if you do stick with Joel and Ellie, I think you just stick with Ellie. All so. right. All right, that does it for the big six. Our trailer of the week. I'm finally going to tell you what it is, and it is for King's Quest. King's Quest is an episodic adventure game, a revival of a classic, and this is the trailer for the very first episode. Gwendolyn. I hope this old cap will be remembered for far more than the action tattered across its brim. Sewn into the seams are many hidden adventures. Tell me everything. Hey, it's Grand the Wise. Well, I was a much younger lad. You look like a compassionate fellow. Before I was a knight. The greatest knight in all of Daventry. Before I've been to Daventry. I see braveness in those eyes. It's a tale about a tournament that changed my life. Hello. Uh, apologies, I'm late. Uh, I should be on the list. First name Graham, last name... Welcome, everybody. You are all here to win a knight position on King Edward's court. Each knight hopeful will need to bring back to the theater, dum 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 dum, one eye of a hideous beast. We want to know what's in your heart, how you think, and how you react in the face of danger. No adorably cute, fuzzy, or tiny creature eyes will be accepted. Nothing to see here. Now, everyone, go forth and claim thine eyes. That was, that was amazing. All things considered, it was a pretty good first day in Daventry. Pretty excited about that game. How about you, Ray? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited to see what the Odd Gentlemen are doing with uh, with it bringing back episodically like that. And uh, like you mentioned before we threw the trailer, it's a classic. Yeah. You know, the come back. King's Quest was one of the very first games I ever played. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, look, it was no, like... Well, <laughs> <laughs> There's an old game, man. I don't know if you've looked at the King's Quest, man, but they, they look really crude nowadays, so... Yeah, I just dated myself a little bit there, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited for that. I hope that uh, they don't ruin like the nostalgia that I have for the series. That's always yeah. the danger when you bring something back that's been a classic over all that time. But 
Now we're gonna shift our focus to our deep dive. We did see all your comments yelling at us for spoilers. Come on, man. The game's been out for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, PS3, PS4. And like, we also still were very, very prudent about what we said yeah, about we're, The we're, Last we're, of Us. We were pretty vague. We, if you haven't played it yet or you're in the middle of playing it, we really didn't ruin anything for you. So so chill out on giving us crap over spoilers yeah. over The Last of Us. The game has... If you haven't got on it yet, that's your problem, not that's, ours. Yeah. You should have listened to everybody when they told you to play it. So... Next, we're going to move on to Batman Arkham Knight. Our game eval went up this week for the game on Sifted. Did you review the game for EGM? Yes, I was the one who reviewed it for EGM. Um, we gave it a, we gave it a six point five out of ten on our. Well, that's on, basically on, exactly what we get. on our score. Yeah, we do we do we have a half point half point scale. So you know you, you know uh, one one point five two point five uh, three three point five etc. Uh, ten being the best. So yeah, we gave it a six point five. We do it where five is average. So it. It was a little above average, but I think when when you look at it compared to Arkham Asylum and especially Arkham City, to say it was anything less of a it's nothing less of a than a disappointment. Like yeah. I I came into this I wanted I wanted every moment to be where I was going to be like crapping my back boxers right like yeah. I was going to be going absolutely crazy for this game crapping your underoos exactly and just being <laughs> like. Yes, you know, it was supposed to be this great culmination of this franchise that they, I mean, they had put, they had set up so many great possible storylines that they could have put a really nice, you know, bow on here. And it, they really, I think, I think they did nothing short, than, short of dropping the ball, in my opinion, especially in terms of the story. I mean, it really feels like um, not having Paul Dini, who of course has written over the past 25 years from Batman the Animated Series to some of his comic book runs, some of the, and of course in Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, some of the best Batman stories that have been written over the past two and a half decades. And the fact you got rid of him and then had it done by Sefton Hill and his group, you can definitely see that there was a, a severe drop off, in my opinion, in terms of the story. Yeah, see, I thought the story was pretty much god-awful. Yeah. And I think we, we gave it like a five, and a lot of the people in the comments in our game eval were like, oh my god, how could you ever give it? I mean, the story was pretty terrible. It's like, it's if, the more you think about it, the worse it gets. Like, if you turn your brain off and, like, play this game, sure, like, maybe it's kind of enjoyable, but the more you think about it, it just breaks down. There's so many holes and, like, yeah. things that make no sense whatsoever. And Matt's going to get in on this conversation. He's yeah, I got, I got some things. Matt is a big yeah. Batman fan, and obviously he knows games really well as well, so he's going to jump in here with us. But, I mean, let's first of all, let's talk about the Batmobile. Because okay. the Batmobile is the most polarizing thing in this game, hands mm -hmm. down. Yep. I mean, most... I would say 80% of the reviews for this game, I could sum them up in one sentence. Awesome game, hate the Batmobile. Awesome game, hate the Batmobile. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed the Batmobile. Like, up until the end of the game, where they send you into these gauntlets where you fight, like, yeah. 80 tanks at once. It's like, but up until that point, I mean, the whole last act of the game kind of turns into a grind. Like, not yeah. just that, but, like, the hand-to-hand -hand battles, kind of the other mission types kind of go away like the detective yeah. stuff goes away and you just get caught in this web of like batmobile fight brawl batmobile fight brawl and so it started to wear on me there but yeah. up until that point like i actually really enjoyed the batmobile i thought it broke it up really nicely i i think the batmobile plays fine more or less for what it is but i don't think it fits the game like i don't think it doesn't feel like what batman would do it's it makes these really it weird fit excuses. The franchise you're saying. Yeah, the franchise. Yeah. It doesn't fit like, like if it was like a Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan like game, maybe I would buy it. But I just don't buy him having this giant tank that like 
And then, like, you hit a guy and it, like, electrocutes him. Like, you're supposed to think, like, you tased him, I guess. But, like, what, what, I knocked what, what him 80 feet. get over yeah. the Batman can't kill people thing? Like, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It never made sense in the comics, and it doesn't make sense in a video game especially. Like, you're running over somebody at, like, 200 miles per hour and they don't <laughs> die? Like... No, he's just sleeping. It's yeah, just, what? It's but it's just little ridiculous. things like that that weren't a problem in City and Asylum. Where, like, even it's, like, things like the fact that he talks to Bruce Wayne's butler... And yeah. Bruce Wayne's CEO on a giant, like, pop-up video gauntlet. And everyone's calling him Bruce and Mr. Wayne on this comms channel that the Arkham Knight has already, like, Broken compromised. Into, yeah. Yeah. And then he gets the new suit and he just changes into it, like, yeah, on also, a rooftop. Also, like, remember, <laughs> he's doing all these, like, broadcasts with these people in public. Yeah. Where any thug, in practice, there's probably a thug, like, yeah. 10 feet yeah. away. Like, Lucius totally... has the Wayne Enterprises logo behind him, like <laughs> yeah. a newscaster or something. You're like, oh, I wonder who he's talking to. You know, it's, it's, and like... It's the... like I said, like, the more you think about the game, like, the more yeah. ridiculous its premise. And it's weird is. how it's, to me, it really parallels the Nolan trilogy, where it's like, yeah. you've got Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, great movies. People yeah. argue about which one is better, but I don't think anyone's wrong. It just depends which one did it for you more. And then you get to Rise, Dark Knight Rises, and everyone's like, huh. Yeah. Like, I yeah. enjoyed it, but yeah, it was like, hey. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was good. And there were good parts, and like it's like, Dark Knight, I, I'm enjoying the Batman stuff. I just yeah. wish I didn't have to take a break to play Battle Tanks 4 every once in a while. Well, I mean, even that, especially, like, you've, by the time, once you, once you, up, uh, excuse me, once you upgrade your grappling hook to a certain point, you don't even need the Batmobile yeah, you're anymore. you're faster than you're, the you're car. You're flying, you're basically <laughs> flying around Gotham. Well, I don't think like, you even have to upgrade it to be faster than driving the Batmobile. Honestly. No, but it, I think even if the ba at the base level mm -hmm. of it, you're still faster than driving the car. But I think this is also gets to a thing where we have a problem in game trilogies, it seems, where it always seems that people just don't know how to wrap up the third chapter because they want they want to, you know, they usually the second game ends on some kind of cliffhanger, some kind of major, you know, major epic moment. You know, Batman did it. You know, a lot of trilogy games have done it. Gears of War, God of War, you know, always, you know, like um, Uncharted, you know. And then and the thing is, is then you want to have the third game. It needs to find a way to be to be bigger and better and raise the stakes. When you don't have to. And I think that this game yeah. fell into the problem that a lot of those franchises had where they tried to cram so much stuff into this to try and raise the stakes again that it became too much. And that because it take, it take away from the story. The Batmobile wasn't nearly as balanced in terms of the gameplay as it should have been. You know, because it does, like, early on, I enjoyed the Batmobile. And then you get a tipping point in the story yeah. where it's like, why am I in this all the damn time? Yeah. You know, so I think that it's just, it's part of, it. we have a problem in games where we think that every sequel needs to be bigger and better than the last one. And what happens is that instead it detracts from the first, what you did with the first mm -hmm. two games. Well, think back to Cliff Blazinski. Was it Gears of War 2 where he's like bigger, better, and more badass? Like, yeah. that is the mentality, though, of the developer. Like, he's yeah. basically telling you, this is how we think about it. When we're going to do a sequel, this is what we want to make the next right. game like. And it's like, I don't even know if fans want that. Like, all I needed, All I needed was City times 2. I exactly. needed like, and I instead, my thing like with it is, like the Batmobile breaks the flow of the gameplay to me because one of the appeals of the other games is that Batman is a self-contained puzzle-solving, dungeon-beating, you know, thug-punching machine, and it, yeah. it's like it's like Samus or Link, or Link. where yeah. you get like a new item or new ability, and then you get to the next area, and then like you have to think laterally to use that new ability to kind of solve what's thrown at you. So and Matt, this... we have a comment here. It says, uh, 
Batman used a tank in 1987. This is from Juan X. Solo. I know. I've read Dark Knight Returns. Well, yeah. yeah. I, but this is not the <laughs> He says, story. you don't know anything about what fits for Batman. You are out of your depth here. First of all... <laughs> Dude, I've been reading Batman One since before you were born. One thing I can okay. tell you without a doubt Whoa. is that Matt Kyle is never, ever... No. Dark, the Dark Knight Returns Batman, Batman is not the Batman in this series. Uh, let's just see, right? Let's just have him. That... Let's have a bat off between you and Juan <laughs> X Solo and see who wins. That would be quite entertaining. Yeah, I'd rather finish what I was saying. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, like, the, the idea of him being this self-contained character that gets better and better at do, getting through these essentially dungeons, and now you have to. Oh, get the Batmobile to come in here and take a, you know, do the remote piloting of the Batmobile. It like takes you away from that kind of yeah. self-contained badass idea. And, you know, I just I I never wanted to have to use Link's horse to solve like pressure plate puzzles in <laughs> yeah. a dungeon and I just yeah. I don't understand why Dude, the platforming. This was... the... Yeah. Batmobile platforming. There's Batmobile platforming in this game. Like it's funny too because I, you know, I started playing. I got the game like. Also, the the Dark Knight Returns tank used rubber bullets, not a sixty millimeter cannon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got the game. I think the day before it came out or whatever, and so I was already starting to see some like reports on the game of the Batmobile, and there people were complaining about. it. I saw some comments on Twitter about it, and uh, I was I start playing the game, and right out of the gate they give you like platforming in the batmobile and i was yeah. like oh i get it now i'm like oh my god if i have to do this like all the way through the game yeah. this game is like terrible like yeah. but as it turns out that was like the only place where you really had to do that one you put it at the beginning of the game there's so much wrong with this game's just base yeah. design it's like the first thing you do in a game should be a building block that you learn mm -hmm. from so that you use that later on in the game. It shouldn't be some weird thing that you never do yeah, again. Some one-off one mechanic. Yeah. That is insane. Like, yeah. how does Rocksteady do that? Like, no. how is that even possible after making two great games that you just completely lose the fundamentals of game design for the first section of your new game. And that that's a good point in that, like, the Batmobile never evolves. No! Like, a Batmobile no. section at the beginning and at the end are basically the same, except for a couple, like, you know, like, an EMP or whatever. Like, it's... I don't even use, like, yeah, a lot of that yeah. crap. You get, like, yeah, you get all the extra stuff, but the thing is, you don't really need to... You never need to really use the EMP. I used to use the, the EMP was I used once, which was to get one Riddler trophy. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That was the only time. I mean, it's such a it's just such a miscellaneous thing way to use it. And to make but it see, critical, also, I would like, say that about the whole freaking game. Mm -hmm. Is the whole game is bloated. Like, yeah. you don't use hardly any of the... Like, I never even touched most of the categories you could level up by yeah. the time I finished the game. Like, I think I probably upgraded 25 to 30% of, like, the stuff that I could actually upgrade yeah. because I just found, like, base armor. I'm like, I always want to be tougher to take damage. Like, right. or attack. Like, I didn't care about the little minutia stuff. It's cool that it's there. Yep. But the the gadgets, like a lot of the gadgets you use once and you never use them again. Well, like, they were out of ideas for the upgrades, I think. At one point I had 37 upgrade points and, and I didn't feel like I needed on. anything yeah. else. I thought, Batman I thought was fine at yeah. that point. Now let, look, let's stop beating up on the game so much because look, at the end of the day, I gave it a good score and yeah. so did you. So there are redeeming qualities of this game. What was one of the things that you really liked about it? Well, the, again, what they did great in the first two games I think was the combat and the predator rooms and I think that the, the game, the, those sections in Arkham Knight are better than ever. 
The fear takedown in the Predator rooms, I've never enjoyed the Predator rooms more than in Batman Arkham Knight. It really made me... I, it I imparts went in, a lot of strategy into the it, combat. Exactly. It really made me think a lot more about what I was doing, whereas the first two games, the Predator rooms... As Bat as Batman, I felt very underpowered. Actually, I felt like I would go, I would take one thug out, and then I would just kind of swing around a bunch of times, and then go down, swing, take one, th- one one thug out, and just rinse and repeat for twenty minutes. Right here, I would take a thug out, and I would use that thug to lure a bunch of other guards to him. Then use the fear takedown, and then like I would actually find myself using a lot of the different new mechanics they introduced to the Predator rooms to make them more dynamic than ever. And the Predator rooms were far better designed. They're not just squares with gargoyles everywhere. A lot of them, you know, there's one I think that was like like at a train station where, you know, it's kind of open, an open roof and, you know, you had all these different levels and you're hiding under stairways and they really added a lot more nuance and levels to that. And then with the combat, I really loved uh, being able to interact with the environments, really finding new ways to extend my combos. you know, I mean, I was I was putting together 60, 70 hit combos a lot more frequently in Arkham Knight than I did in Arkham City or Arkham Asylum. And I just found... Taking, everything... taking a step back, though, does that really make a whole lot of sense? Batman doing, like, 70 hit combos? <laughs> well, not really, but I guess when you put, like, 35 thugs on the screen, right. it kind of works. No, I, I'm saying it works within the context of the game, without a doubt. Yeah. But going back to what Matt's saying about, like... Is this game really Batman? Yeah, where 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 are all these armies of henchmen coming from? What well, one? But why don't two? they just strap um, guys to the drones so he can't blow them up because he doesn't kill people? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You just you just you, Arkham Knight wins. He just he just solved yeah. out how he beats Batman. <laughs> it is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. Oh yeah. Certainly on a console. It is, it is gorgeous. It is yeah. a gorgeous. It is a gorgeous game, and on console at least. Uh, there yeah, on the console of these. Well, yeah, I mean... The we P- haven't even the- talked about, like, the whole PC debacle with the yeah. game. I mean, there were a smattering of bugs on the Xbox One, and, and I have folks who... I know talked to folks who played in PS4, but yeah, the PS... I had PC- one crash on PS4, straight yeah. up crash, just totally locked the system up. But otherwise, I had no, like, falling through the world bugs, but you had some... I, I, I fell through the world a couple times in the Batmobile, like, especially when you have to drive in the, the ceiling for some of the... for the Riddler uh, challenges, where you have to go... I would start... I would actually start just kind of going around, because it was... Hard to kind of get the right sweet spot when you're doing that. And then one time I was doing it, and I just kind of kept going like this and, like, fell off into the abyss somewhere. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's, that shouldn't, ha- shouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah I but, don't... Um, I think the Batman stuff outside the car is all really good, and they've, they've yeah. evolved it well. It feels, like you said, it feels very organic. The scale of the city is insane. It feels yeah. so much bigger than City. Um, and he looks awesome. The new suit has all these cool little tricks it can pull off. and. Mm-hmm. I just, um, it, it didn't, like, I felt like I, about half of it wasn't what I wanted, and half of it wasn't what I wanted more than anything else. And so I'm torn on it. And uh, somebody on NeoGAF made a post that basically said, um, it's like playing something that's really good, but you know it should have been great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, pretty I said that in my game, yeah. I'm like, it's a great game that just fails to reach excellence for a number of reasons. And look, we've we got to start wrapping it up a little bit. So let's move on and talk about the PC version because yeah. there's more to talk about there than just the fact that that PC version wasn't good and it was broken because it's come out now that Warner Brothers knew yeah. that the PC version was in trouble well before the game came out, months and months before the game came out yet still released it. I, one, I cannot understand the logic of this. So no. you know the game's broken, yeah. and you're sitting there, and they're like, okay, it's not done. 
And should we release it or not? Somebody's sitting there with their finger on the button saying, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? I do. But when you do that, you know. Yeah. You're dooming, you're dooming half yourself. your audience. You're dooming yeah. yourself yeah. because you know what's going to happen. You know when it goes out there, people are going to freak out. You know yeah. Steam just instituted refund. New refund policy. Just yeah. in time. Yeah. yeah. That was like vindication for that program right there, wasn't yeah. it? That, yep. That's like we had debates on this show about it. Like, is it good? Is it bad? I know yeah. it's good because yeah. it just saved a bunch of people money on this game. And yeah. so that is just deplorable to me that yeah. WB would knowingly send this game out kicking and screaming in the state that it was in. It's still pretty much unplayable. They did finally yeah. put out a patch. Just by the size of the patch, I knew it wasn't going to fix it. It was like 70 megabytes or something. Oh. It's like, no, 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 no. You got a lot more work to do yeah. than that, brother. So what do we think about this? Like, there, I've yeah. never seen this in my entire time in this industry. I've never seen this happen. No, for them to knowingly know that it was not... For them to knowingly, like you said, send it out there that it was not ready to go... I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just delay the PC version. Like, I mean, yeah, what's the big G, deal? GTA Five comes out where they they stack the releases where you have the consoles first, the PC later. Yep. I mean, obviously, that's much later in that okay, case. But yeah, and it still does fine. I mean, this is Batman. Ba guess what? Batman fans, they'll wait. Yeah, they they'll, will. They'll, they'll yeah. wait if it's especially good when they know that what they're yeah. going to get is going to be the best looking of all of them. Right. The only thing is, you would assume the only reason why I could think that they would be willingly willing to push this out there in this state is that they knew this was not as good as Arkham City or as Arkham Asylum, that they knew it was going to test lower. It wasn't going to be... Although somehow still got all the 9s and 10s that they, they wanted. Well, Matt but, was saying that it was focus tested, and they ended up actually, believe it or not, they actually cut Batmobile out. Like, some because their focus testers were saying there's too much Batmobile, so it could have been worse. I mean, I mean the, the fact it could have been even more bloated somehow than yeah, it was yeah. is, is mind-boggling. But... I mean, the fact is, is that they were maybe they were afraid that would have hurt their PC sales if people didn't like it on consoles, because obviously with GTA V, you know, everybody was, you know, rocks when Rockstar they know when they put something out that they they can they can do stacked releases because everybody's going to go crazy for yeah. it. This I I can only the only thing I can think of is that they weren't as confident in the game overall, and so they were like, let's just get it out there. And we'll try and apologize and make up for it later. Which I mean, for some reason, has, <laughs> that's a has whole been, lot of work, man. <laughs> but it's, it, for some reason, it's it's been the, like the mo of game companies now the past like year, right? Assassin's Creed Unity, Halo Master Chief Collection, Drive Club. They figured out that you can do pretty much whatever the hell you want as long as you apologize. Yeah, that is like. It's like one of those relationships that you get in when you're a teenager or whatever, and you're, like, dating this girl who's treating you real bad, but you like her so much that, like, <laughs> she does something bad to you again, and she says, I'm sorry, and just like a sucker, you go crawl yeah, back. Yeah, like, you, just, you melt, and it's just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> whatever you say, sweetie. Exactly. But, so, yeah, like, it just, I, I, that's the only thing I could think of is that, is that they saw, they saw, you know, previous games had kind of done the same thing. Yeah, Unity was terrible. You, yeah, again, also especially on PC. But we all one, remember the one thing melting. I would say about that, though, is I do think you're starting to see a little bit of backlash for Assassin's Creed over Unity because Syndicate is not tracking anywhere near yeah. where the other... I mean, I can see it in the numbers on Sifted. Like, yeah. I can see what people are gravitating towards, and I've never seen an Assassin's Creed game get less interest than this one. I mean... We curate something for Assassin's Creed, and it's like crickets. Like, people yeah. are like, meh. And I kind of agree with them, not because of what happened with Unity, because I always feel like giving people and developers another chance. But it's just the game itself, to me, just doesn't have that hook. And it's yeah. just, 
not particularly exciting for me personally, but yeah, so you know, maybe they should have looked a little more closely at Ubisoft and said, well, hey, you know, it actually hasn't worked out that well for them because they have this behemoth franchise that's now kind of struggling to get traction yeah. and it's coming out in a couple months. So I don't know. Maybe gamers aren't as forgiving as we're saying that they are. Maybe they just say that they're forgiving and at the end of the day, they do what you said earlier and they bet with their money. That's well. That's the, that's the hope, right? That's again. At the end of the day, that's where gamers. That's where we as consumers have the most power. Yeah. When you buy something, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, obviously, I don't know what Rocksteady's next project will be. I don't know if it'll be with Warner Brothers. I don't know. I mean, supposedly this is the end of the Batman Arkham franchise. Although, I mean, I'm, well, I'm no. sure. I'm sure I mean, we'll, come on, well, we I'm both sure we'll finished see. the game. We know that there's another game coming. Gotta, it won't yeah. be from them. It'll no. somebody else will pick it up. Probably the guys who made Origins will start oh, making. Goodness. I know. Well, that's they have the exact. They have a lot of the opposite problems that Rocksteady had. They it could have been the whole plan all along, and that's why they did Origins. So when the Rocksteady was ready to pass the torch, they had right. one game under their belt, and they could learn from it. And yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But anyway, that's going to do it for episode 16 of Game Face Sifters. Thanks for tuning in. Every, to everyone who's watching it live, I know it's a holiday weekend. I know it's late on a Friday night, and you guys probably want to be out partying with your <laughs> friends or sitting around a bonfire or a barbecue or whatever. So we do appreciate you guys taking the time to spend your Friday evening with us. I want to thank Ray also for coming in and sitting in with us. You did an amazing job, man. I had a blast talking to you about games today. This was, was a great. lot of fun, dude. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, maybe we'll have you back again sometime. Big thanks to Matt for jumping in on the combo today. Uh, and also want to mention, you know, to the guy that we kind of laid into a little earlier, Juan, it was nothing <laughs> personal. We we're just having a little fun. So, Juan, thank you as well for tuning in. We appreciate it. Um, the show will be up archived on the site in a, in a little bit, not too long from now. I do want to say, everybody, have a very safe and a very happy July 4th weekend. Make sure you have somebody else light those fireworks so you don't lose any fingers. So with that, Game Face Episode 16 is up, and it is out.